0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Metric, the User Experience Design Podcast with Tim Broadwater
1: <laughs> and Michael Scholeyfield. Is that how you so, pronounce your last name, Scholeyfield? It's not.
0: No, it's uh, it's wildly off. It's Schofield.
1: Oh my god for so many years i've been
0: calling you sholey field so my username is like scoe field s-c-h-o-e-y f-i-e-l-d there's no y in my name or initial e in it for that matter it was just uh the result of i share a name with a popular fictional television character named michael Schofield from prison break i've been
1: pronouncing your username for years (laughs) it's not your actual name
0: as soon as you said that i knew what happened it's happened a lot and it's totally cool i'll just start going by that and now my my website scoeyfield.com it's sort of I'm just reinforcing this habit in the first place. I should just change my name. I've so. known you for
1: like four to five years. And for yeah. four to five years, I've been calling you by your username. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the future, right? Like, yeah. it's like you already said uh ready player one it's like ah it doesn't matter what your real name is his exactly. real
0: name his real name is parzival it's, it's yeah. it goes back to the whole thing where you know um like in kill bill the true identity of superman is superman and his secret identity or and his secret identity is clark kent
1: <laughs> i am wv tiny tim <laughs> on go. everything like on nintendo switch like on steam like on playstation network like my it's my default username i use for everything i guess i just jumped to u- game name uh so username usually for me is timbrdh 20 yeah um, and i use that for everything so it's kind of tim broadwater but kind of hyphenated a lot of people say tim bird h2o or
0: oh you know. i get it i get it yeah i was like I was like H two O water. Why? It totally makes sense. Yeah. For
1: some reason, I thought that was cool back in the nineties. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm actually curious. I don't know where we left off.
1: So the last thing that we were talking about um, at the end of I think episode sixty eight. Yeah. Yes. So this is sixty nine. Yep. Um, is somehow <laughs> <laughs> Giggity. <It> is, sorry. <laughs> uh, it, the UX job scene. We were talking about you know how new UXers. Yes. Um, what to ask in interviews what are red flags you know when you're interviewing um you're being interviewed you're also kind of in turn interviewing the companies
0: yeah that's a a great topic do you have like anything you want to start off with i think about this stuff all the time
1: i can well so like let's think night I, i don't think i've ever had a nightmare job i think i had a job like when i first graduated college right that was i was working as an a graphic designer and kind of advertising graphic designer and paginator for a newspaper. And if anything I would say was a nightmare job this place was because you know you you didn't know this at the time, but the red flags I would have probably <laughs> I would I definitely see them now. Is that in the newspaper industry you have to do all the work for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday on Friday. And so, because if you don't want to come in on the weekend, you have to prep the paper to run the next three days, right? There was a lot of, like, unpaid overtime. So, I, apart from that, I've not really had a nightmare job, but I've definitely seen, like, red flags in interviewing here recently. I think if you're on LinkedIn, or Indeed, or TechCrunch, or you know, depending on where it is you're looking or posting your resume for jobs, I think one of the red flags I see all the time is there's no research ever mentioned in the job description The question first is like have you had a nightmare job? <laughs>
0: uh, I, I've had a job that taught me a lot about the kind of Job I didn't want after that bad bosses. I think um, the jobs themselves were fine, but something so one of the takeaways that I have had is that it matters a lot to me and this isn't true for everybody but it matters a lot to me, the the culture, the, the hashtag culture, the, the people that I work with. The, the boss taught me a lot, too. It was a matter of the, the, a major thing it lacked, I think, was like a positive reinforcement. There was always something wrong. And, and when things were right, there was just silence, right? Um, it was one of those things where I would like have ideas. And uh, again, we talked about this maybe a couple episodes ago where my ideal position and the one that i'm working toward and like now and and i've kind of like uh, achieved in part is one where i operate more at the strategic layer rather than there's like implementation layer but it was one of those jobs where hey like i was told what to do and there wasn't a whole lot of like creative opportunity within the like that dicta so yeah I um, i feel
1: like that happens to devs a lot actually like devs are basically like if there is the McDonald's turnover rate, we got to fill the chairs. You so, have to implement, you know, we we just need people to build, you know.
0: I ended up saying it, like our team retrospective, like I'd, I'd said something at a team retrospective that like, hey, um, I, like this week, didn't go too well for me. Like I got a lot done, Da da You know, the the point of retrospective is to go over, you know, what went well, what didn't go so well and what could we do better? And yeah. it's a little, it's a time to like revisit the sprint that has passed. And I aired, Uh, I think like politely, like just this notion that like, hey, like I had these something 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 um, that I'm feeling like a highly paid mechanic rather than somebody who is part of this creative process. And the response I got was like, well, yeah, like, uh, that's, that's what you are. Right.
1: Not and even a gasp. You didn't know. <laughs> um,
0: and it was just one of those things where it taught me a couple of th- things that at this particular position, it taught me not to air the, not to be this open um, with emotions uh, that I have. So um,
1: when you said, like, I mean, I think that's indicative of the work environment and the type of work. And you said, certainly, confirmed that, you know, that you didn't want to be a mechanic or a basic level implementer. I actually think. More people should be, I think, the opposite in regards to, oh, I should withhold from work. Actually, I think we're people, and we should talk about it. And um, I think if you can say, like, you know, I'm not really satisfied with this, and, like, no one listened to some of my ideas. It was more just, get. if we're always just doing this GSD kind of attitude, get shit done. Yeah. It's like, you know, and... uh I find what happens is if the response, which is like, well, that's your job and that's what you do, those people leave. They just leave and go somewhere else. And then it's kind of like, well, you either like to turn over or you don't. I mean, are you either like, and I think for a lot of new developers, probably, that's really commonplace.
0: It's one thing that I like in hindsight, like I totally, like I'm 100% on board with what you just said. I don't know if I would have known to look for that during the interview. I'm in a position now where, um, hey, uh, like my boss and I are good friends, and we talk about like our feelings and and our level of job satisfaction. And when I talk to the folks who are on my team, I ask them, I was like, "How happy are you right now?" You know, these are this kind of like open communication. This uh is is I've discovered is very important.
1: I mean, there are certain questions I mean, to find that out. Uh, to your point, like I'm kind I of curious, like
0: what do. you would do. Yeah, I, like how I would you mean, find that out?
1: Everyone says like you. <laughs> There's two mentalities, I think, that come from like interviewing. I think it's the old school baby boomer 50s mentality of like, but just be grateful to have a job and shut up, you know? That oh, sure. Kind of mentality versus the, I think millennials get a really bad reputation about it. It's just like, well, you, you want to, you're going to what? You're looking for a job that you enjoy? What the hell? <laughs> it's just like, no one goes, leaves high school, graduates high school and works a job for 30 years anymore. That just doesn't exist, right? Yeah. I think um, it's not bad to ask about team culture, you know, I think that's one of the things that I probably didn't learn until after so many years, like working is like, what's your team like? Do you do anything yeah. fun together? Like, I mean, what's the team culture kind of thing? You know, what's it like working there? But then in addition to that, the other side of that, I think is, I and I didn't know this until I had a good boss, right? Until I actually had a good boss, which was a lot of years, I actually thought I had great bosses, but until I actually had a, a fantastic one. And then it just kind of puts things in perspective, in my opinion. One who would truly where, you know, what is your career goals? What is it you're wanting to do? here? Yeah. You're like, what is how do you want to grow and learn? And, and is there something that you're perceiving in our business that is a need that you're interested in and we could fill? And how do we make that happen for you? Like in a, over time, like through mini goals in a year or two years or like an achievable kind of thing where it's an invested interest from the person. And I think in an interview, A, ask you know, what's your team dynamic like and what's the team culture and what's the company culture? And then B, who am I working with for my mm-hmm. career advancement? And like, is are people who do I kind of work with and talk to about goals or mentorship or how I want to grow within your company in advance? And if the answer is basically, oh, we have an HR system that deals with that, <laughs> or like, or we have a portal that you can report your goals to, and that's what you're graded upon. And and even like at a base level, if you ask, like, what's my budget for workforce development? Can I go to X amount of conferences a year? Can I get a certification? Can I do something? I think those three are really good questions to ask that I did not know uh, at the beginning of my career, right?
0: Nope, I 100% agree. Like, uh, like I, I've mentioned before that I largely wrote my own job description. I'm hoping to write my next one. Career co-creation, mentorship, menteeship, um, friendship. Invest folks more deeply in the the quality of the product or the service that you're all creating there's there's a deeper stake in there it, it ends up producing better quality work
1: 100% uh, it is it's the the thing that when they talk, uh, always rank what are the top 3 things people are looking for it's actually not ever it's not so money you know it's just yeah. like I kind of want to do something and I want to advance my career. I want to learn more, you know, I want to grow. And those are the things that I think a lot of companies kind of let slide. Mm -hmm. And I think companies that are hip to it to where they're just like, hey, there's probably going to be some bandwidth time here at work where we're not going to have stuff for you to do, but that's the time where like, hey, is there anything you see that you want to work on or you want to do? And how can you apply that to something in our business? Because we want you to kind of grow, like us, and knowledge your skill set that helps us, right?
0: Another good question that I've asked in the past um, is like, what, what level of uh, autonomy do I have in doing my work? And that was something that I learned in my first uh, library job uh, with my librarian career.
1: That's good, especially a, who's the, what's the chain? Like a lot of places, mm, I think you'd be surprised yeah. that don't even have an org chart. And it's kind of like, is there a person who's agreeing to my work? Or am I kind mm. of gathering my work and presenting and making decisions on my work? Right. Or, you know, to your autonomy question. Yeah.
0: It's the idea that like one thing that will crush your spirits faster than anything else is like being micromanaged for
1: I literally <laughs> was just going to say that. It's like coming to find out like, oh, sorry. Yes. If you were wondering about the chain and report structure in your autonomy, you're going to be micromanaged
0: by your
1: head. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. It's like, great. Um, well, I'm glad we got that out now. I'm not going to continue
0: this. Interview. I think even using like micromanage as a phrase in your interview is direct enough to catch them off guard. It's like, hey, it's like, are you going to micromanage me?
1: Sorry. Well, to your point right there, I think, you know, when you're in the position where you have a job, and you have the luxury—I mean, it's not luxury—but you have a job. Then it kind of is. You either can be comfortable with it, and you're like, "I'm not going to look" or whatever. I always look. I think that's a healthy habit to kind of form. And if you're not doing that, you should.
0: How um, soon do you start passively looking after you get your job? Well, one year. One year? Okay.
1: I mean, I may look six months at yeah, six <laughs> months, but, but it's like I—I I honestly like I won't. No, but- like, oh, you're jumping around each year. To like no one cares a year. No cares. Yeah. So it's like, if I spent five years here, two here, 10 there, one here, does anyone care about the one? They care about the experience and like the work, right? And so the, the thing about like, you know, if you're in the position to where you have a job, count yourself lucky, because you're great. You're in a great place to start looking for other work. But to your point, like you may be in a situation where, you know, they laid off everyone at work, mm-hmm. and you just need something, right? Um, Or, you coming out of uh, college or certification or training, you you need something, of course. And so you kind of have to take uh, what's acceptable. And that's kind of that whole thing we were talking about in the last episode, which is what can you stand to do? I right. mean, can you at least do this? So, oh, now I at least have breathing room. I can pay bills. And I'm, you know, three weeks out of the job. You're like, there's nothing new I'm learning here. I can do this job easy. And it's not going to change at all. Well, then you at least have a job and you can start looking for something else right keep your stuff up to date you're going to get update you'll you're going to get approached anyways right so um, that's i i happens. agree
0: I, I want to reiterate something we both agreed to uh really quickly in passing uh, that at least in our neck of the woods in our industry and in design and like uh startups nobody cares if you have your if your career is a spattering of one-year positions or two-year positions or whatever the length of time doesn't matter if you emerged from that better than you were before, like that's human resources advice that has been passed down generationally that no longer, I'm sure it applies in more, you know,
1: human resource, like, witch who's like over this cauldron like mumbling and t- like, and it's like it's it's middle ages it's it's not relevant anymore what people I, care about is your experience or your portfolio and i think that's a thing that
0: how important is a portfolio
1: so i think you know i'm very strongly opinionated about many things when it comes to user experience <laughs> uh, i think 90 percent of people get ux portfolios wrong right Interesting. i think People do portfolios of like, here's my graphic design work, or here's my web design work, or here's a logo I designed, or, you know, a true UX portfolio. And what I would, what we require at my place where I kind of work and what, if you applied for a job at Nelson Norma Group or the last job I worked at Exporting Goods, like, is to actually put you through a UX exercise and a task, right? Yeah. If you think of that, which is if you run into that, you're probably going to run into that to a serious UX research or UX design job. Your portfolio then needs to show process, not end mm-hmm. results. So your portfolio, and this is something that I'm actually, one of my yearly goals for 2019 is to to even better display my portfolio. Right now, I have a bunch of decks, which are processes or PowerPoints or books or, or slides pretty much that just show, you know, Um, here was the conundrum or the question and the query. This is how we went about researching the data for it. And then this is how we implemented a solution. And then here's the finished result. That's what I want to see in user experience. And I think that's the portfolios employers want. I think a lot of people just focus on that end, like here's the final design. And that further kind of puts you in the corner of design as opposed to research, you know? And I think that's kind of a call out for a job as well. You know, if you don't see in the job description, any research, um, and you don't see, I always feel like I come across like a huge amount of UX UI designer job descriptions and the very last bullet is like, oh, and some user research and testing, you know, it's <laughs> just like right there. If it's the last bullet, it tells me right there, you know, that you are never doing this. And in the interview, uh, the first thing I ask is how often do you conduct user testing with actual users and
0: great question <laughs>
1: and and how often is research and then. And 99% of those times in those job kind of positions, they're going to say like, oh, well, we don't really get access to the users. Uh, no. And so it's like, you're making assumptions then and you don't test. And it's like, oh, well, we can test with our client. And it's like your stakeholder, your client's not your user, you know, and that's that whole kind of red flags right there,
0: right? That's a great, that's a great one. Um, how... Uh, how often are design decisions validated by existing user experience research?
1: That's the yeah. perfect question. just yeah. how you asked it. How often do you do that here? And we never do, I mean, that's like, <laughs> we. I mean we're we designing in a bubble. <laughs> we're like, it's like, you know, it's, you know, we're just doing it in the dark or shooting from the hip or whatever metaphor insert here, you know? So it's just like. And it's like okay so i'm not really looking to get into design so i'm gonna go for someplace that's ux thanks but no thanks you know
0: (laughs) i've never ever had a portfolio i don't have one i it's something that's been like on my very fuzzy to-do list like every year it's like hey i'm gonna build out a portfolio i i feel like i know what a good portfolio is i've i've ironically sat on like a UX certification program portfolio nights where i've given like advice on what you know like a portfolio should be deep in process and and should and should show your thinking more than how how good of a graphic designer you are um i've never actually had one knowing people who knew people who were in a position to Um, recommend me or something like that and so i've been able to skirt through without a portfolio yeah Yeah, that's
1: great that's the power of networking and i would say good for you but i i also would amend what i previously said that i think you don't necessarily need a portfolio in that regards if you are writing and you are speaking and you have Mm. uh, slides and presentations out there i mean that's just as i think valid if it's It's going to go
0: business of authority yeah
1: correct and there's a I, I have a friend who I literally talked about this here recently. Um, he actually does, um, he wanted to, he, he basically went to one of his friends and was like, how do I become recognized? Uh, I mean, I obviously know this subject matter and everything, and I, I just, you know, but it's kind of hard to show and to speak to it when asked. And the friend, his friend was just like, write a book. That instantly makes you an authority. Just by having a book, I mean, people can say like, oh, well, he may not know what he's talking about, but he wrote a book on it. So that's probably, and I, and I say that is just not you know writing a book is difficult it's you know but i think you have to have something that shows some processes and if you think of research design and facilitation as being uh, i think of them as three of the kind of six skills of ux um If you can show you facilitated a group by documenting or through slides or a presentation or writing and you or you can show design or you can show like research findings from usability testing uh, audits or um, and those in a deck or powerpoint or slide i mean i think you're good to go you know i think um people just happen to focus a lot on the actual aesthetic design side of it which kind of um, doesn't get into the ux sometimes um it's just more ui
0: because my personal experience has been so network driven that like it's hard for me to it's it's hard for me to even like conceptualize the other end of like like blind job application and blind interviewing although i've certainly done that all of the positions i've been lucky to get have largely been because ultimately i knew someone inside and they're like hey you know Give this person an interview. That's the, really good advice.
1: I mean, I think people think about like LinkedIn in regards to like, oh, I'll just connect with them or what. I mean, I get tons of requests on LinkedIn. As does a lot of people, and it's like, I don't know you. I've never worked with yeah. you. I've never went to class with you. And and so, no, LinkedIn is the place you connect with them after you meet them in the real world at right. like a UX camp or like a UX or IXDA.
0: Which oh, that's is, great advice.
1: Yeah. So IXDA in UX camp and like there's a lot of different kind of UX meetups and I think you're right 100% you go out there to kind of build your network you have more feelers out there more recruiters can find you I mean that's the build working on your actual professional career network is an essential skill that I don't think baby boomers will probably understand
0: the one thing that's persistent if the if the job itself isn't the through line you know throughout your career I, I think what you'll find is that the the people that kind of like you connect with like around that who are sort of like aggregating around your the jobs that you have will be like consistent collegial even friends throughout your career. Um, you know you'll uh, you'll continue to stay in touch with the folks that you worked with and they'll con- and opportunity will still will continue to spring from that that you know like the the job isn't. The, the the important take one of the important takeaways of the job is sort of like the kind of like the the, the social cloud around it you know? i agree
1: i agree i think um there's a there are people that i've um, went to a certification or a course with that I still am in contact with, when I get a new job, they say, congrats, how are you doing? And, or these are people that even if like, hey, uh, I, you didn't know until, I haven't seen you in a couple of years, but now I work at Boeing and we have this kind of UX survey. Can you send this to all your UXers, you know, because we're trying to gather data and um can you give me a reference on LinkedIn, you know, or you know, these kind of things. I think that's what you call upon your network for.
0: I have something I want to talk to you about as a gamer. Um and des- uh, like as a, as a design thing. Um So look, I I thought about you immediately when I finished this game. Uh, a couple days ago, I finished at about like a at about midnight, Ninja Theory's Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice. Does this ring any bell?
1: No, but I'm googling it right now. Okay,
0: so um, it's available on Game Pass. So as you know, I'm an Xbox, so um, and it's coming to Switch. Which um, again, so I'm, I'm thinking of you. She's a Celt and goes into Norse hell to take vengeance on their gods. Um, and it's it's this pretty like epic thing. The like in terms of like the the quality of the design is that the the key um non-spoiler element of gameplay here is that senua um suffers from um like a, a variety of psychoses she hears voices she's um probably schizophrenic schizophrenic she has like deep and like dark depression mm-hmm. and so in terms of game design this is you know think uh like a close over the shoulder third person action-adventure or something kind of like a god of war um but there's no HUD. There's no there's no tutorial. There's no buttons. There's no nothing on screen. Um, what she has instead are the voices in her head. Um, and Ninja Theory, the they like in the game menu, you can watch a, a documentary, which is full of spoilers. So you need to like finish the game before. Um, but they de- they they discuss how they designed this game around um, like a kind of a by I think it I think the term is like binaural audio where um, Best viewed best listened to with a headset where you have like whispers back here and over here and they did a ton of research with um, uh, Very various like disability groups over the course of three years to try to represent What like schizophrenia? May seem like to you know those of us who don't have it. So how this impacts game design is that You have the central character, the central story of Senua, her own voice as she speaks out of her mouth, um, her own motives. And then you have every, every facet of her personality, the ones that I think we can all relate to on some level, the ones that are like undercutting your decisions, second guessing, the ones who are supporting, the ones who are excited, the ones who are afraid, all just kind of like whispering, like all around with a good headset. It's all around your head as you as you're fighting um and stuff if something like if if something comes up behind you there's no ui indication except you'll hear a whisper like like back here behind your right ear like watch out i was left speechless um because uh both the quality of the character both that the the central character is like you know like the, the the chief character has like a pretty significant disability um it's not gimmicky um, it's built into the story. I don't know the, the lines be- between quote game reality and like Senyu's reality blur and stuff, and it all like all meshes into, into like this this perfect narrative goo <laughs> that um, uh, is just like you know like eight to ten hours of like pure immersion. It was fantastic. I have to recommend it to you to anybody who appreciates like a a like game and a game as a piece of art.
1: So there's uh, no tutorials and there's no UI or HUD and so but right. basically it's a nat a newy a natural <laughs> interface <laughs> there where you go. by playing it you learn how it works and and I love the book I don't know if you read No UI by Golden Krishna it's like you mentioned it before it's yeah. an amazing book I would tell any UXer to go read it actually but it sounds like that to where it's like do we really need a UI and do we really need like a tutorial if it's it's done right, if the user knows as using it. um, I think there's probably very few, and this is sad when you think about it, I guess, even in the game world, apps, software, real products, services, maybe even like where it is done so well. That they you know their research is on point and their testing is on point to where the service the product the digital application the game whatever doesn't need a ui and it doesn't need tutorials because it is a, both a no ui and a NUI, a natural user interface and like a fantastic. So what it sounds like is like this was just a phenomenal experience You know, there was like you could just jump in and you knew what the things were when you when they happened and you learned quickly I think as a that-
0: case as a case study and onboarding it's it's something to be studied even if you're not in the gaming industry, it's to that effect there is no tutorial whatsoever you die and then it explains kind of like it doesn't explain it's 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 definitely show not tell but you figure it out right um and i was never taken out of the experience because i had to look up controls yeah anything like that
1: it makes me think of all the clumsy things that we do that are lazy and clumsy clumsy and lazy like faqs Are clumsy and lazy because if you people need to actually go to an FAQ section to find out answers There's a problem because your content strategy is off right and then those things are great. They're learning aids But it's just like what if you could design it in such a way where you didn't need that and it actually, you know, could work um, Fantastically without those kind of implements.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to frame that kind of um, like immersive tutorial as a crutch without demeaning it. But like, if you look at that, like, you know, is there a way that this could have been designed where you don't need the tutorial, I think is an excellent design challenge and, and, you know, mental exercise.
1: Not to plug like H and R block. Um, because I I'm biased cause I do my taxes with them. <sighs> I think theirs is phenomenal. Like they, they obfuscate and boil down and reconstruct data in such a way to where it's a conversation. I don't know if you use, have ever used H&R Block to file your taxes. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, February 27th and tax season is upon us. Um, it's always these questions. It's like, Hey, how you doing? Uh, did you, did you, uh, did you get married last year? No. Okay. Did you, did you start a business? No. Okay. Well, we're just going to import this from you from your last tax return. Is that okay? <laughs> and it's like a conversation. And I feel like by the, it's like, did I just do my taxes? It's, it's literally that quick. I just, you know, I just kind of, it was, it was just conversations, yes, no, adding stuff kind of. Um, and and then at the point where you think the labor is like, I'm going to have to enter line one through 20 on my W2. They're like, no, no, just, you know, just send us the file. we And they can scrape it. And they, yeah. or they take a photo and can scrape it and insert it for you. And it's just like, it's the most organic way. It's like, oh, I have a busy life. I want to do my taxes. And it's like, oh, just schedule an hour with Freddie. He'll do them for you. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't know who Freddie is. I'm just saying, you know, and then Freddie's like, oh, you know, with a conversation, he asks you some questions. And you're like, okay, that was it. That was pretty good. Okay. Awesome. I think that's actually, I would love to know, like, from listeners at home, but then also maybe you and I can go apart and like write some stuff and then come back and surprise each other next time. Because I would actually like to know what are like some of the most fantastic kind of user experiences that have that kind of immersive, it could be a service, it could be a product, it could be like software or anything. Right. And that actually has that kind of really ease of use and learning and onboarding, you know, that's just really a phenomenal experience. It's kind of hard to step back and think like, well, what if there wasn't, didn't have to be a screen? You know, or right. interface,
0: and I can already think of the the examples that I want to come back with next time. So I'm not going to spoil it. They're really like low hanging fruit. No one's going to be like, oh, that's amazing, but they like these are things that I like love.
1: I have um, one that's a definitely a board game, which I think has the easiest onboarding and is so super self learning based. Yeah, uh, but I'll save it for next time because it's 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 really good, and I think, uh, yeah, we can talk about that.
0: Sweet. All right, yo, thank you so much for um, joining us on this uh, episode here at Metric. Um, you can follow us at Metric Podcast on Twitter, metricpodcast.com. Uh, all the podcatchers of choice, which uh, I guess you know. Um, Tim is at UX Bear on Twitter. I am at Field on Twitter. <laughs> Honestly, the best way that you can uh, help us out is to share this or other episodes Uh, with a friend, Um, you know, embrace the network, Uh, da-da-da-da-da.